Welcome to Private Equity Perspectives, a podcast by BDO USA's private equity practice. Each episode, BDO connects with leaders in the private equity space to discuss the latest trends driving deal activity, fund strategies, and portfolio company optimization. Hi, listeners. I'd like to welcome you to another episode of BDO's Private Equity Perspectives podcast. I'm Todd Kinney, the National Relationship Director for BDO's Private Equity Practice. I'm excited to have two guests with me today. First, David Glazer joins us from Gladstone Investment. David is a director focusing on acquiring mature, lower middle market companies with attractive fundamentals and strong management teams. Great to have you to the podcast, David. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate that. Yeah. Second, I'd like to welcome to the program John Tenen, who's a VP at Lazard Middle Market. John's a member of the Consumer Food and Retail Group, where he advises both public and private companies in the consumer retail industry on a variety of strategic alternatives, including M&A, restructurings, and debt and equity financings. You sound like a busy man, John. It's good to have you with us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, David, let's, uh, let's start with you. Maybe you can kick things off by telling us a little bit about Gladstone and your role there. Sure. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me uh, join you here today. Uh, so for quick background, Gladstone Investment, we're a publicly traded buyout fund based in McLean, Virginia, uh, right outside DC. We're traded on the NASDAQ under the ticker GAIN, G-A-I-N. Uh, and we essentially, we invest in lower middle market companies, anywhere from 3 million to 20 million of EBITDA. Um, and we're typically the primary equity investor in any acquisition. Um, uh, in addition, though, you know, other than being publicly traded, we differ from a traditional private equity firm in that we also provide the debt alongside all of our equity investments, and we never make one without the other. Um, obviously, providing most, if not all, the capital structure in any type of transaction, we believe that brings certainty to close and a level of simplicity to it as well. Uh, in terms of what we're focused on, we're truly industry agnostic, I'd say, but historically, we have had a focus on consumer products, business services, and niche manufacturing. Uh, in terms of my role, my colleagues and I are all, are all really involved um, in both origination of new opportunities, uh, so making sure guys like John thinking of us on, on new opportunities, um, as well as a role in portfolio management, where uh, we're really all involved from a board level to help our companies think strategically about the next stage of growth. Nice. You're doing it all. Perfect. Uh, perfect guest. John, as a uh, VP at Lazard, uh, hoping you can uh, bring our, our, our listeners up to speed on, on your company and your role there. Sure, sure. Thanks. So the consumer food and retail team um, at Lazard Middle Market sits in a few offices across the country. So we've got Chicago, Minneapolis, and New York. Uh, I myself sit in the, in the New York office and focus mostly on um, on the consumer and retail side of that group, although we do work with the food team as well. Um, we work with both founders and private equity funds. Um, so, you know, keep thinking of you, David, as well. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I'd say not exact percentages, but 50-50 or so um, with, you know, entrepreneurs or, or private sponsor-owned businesses, which I think maybe we'll talk a bit more about later. Um, and size range that we advise on, we broad strokes say 100 to 500 million in enterprise value, but that can flex up and down depending on circumstance and who it is we're working with. Um, we're seeing some cool things in the market right now. I think it's a, it's an exciting time, you know, changing, changing consumer behaviors and, and how that's impacting the companies we're seeing. Yeah. All right. Well, glad to have both of you here. Let's jump in uh, uh, maybe some, some industry outlook stuff. 
David, I'll, I'll kick the first question to you. Uh, two parts, I guess, uh, in your opinion, uh, can you tell me kind of what's driving interest and growth right now in manufacturing, business services, and, and consumer products, your, your, your sectors? And also, you know, which are the sectors where Gladstone is especially active? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, as is the case with the economy in general, I mean, we've certainly seen some nice growth over the last several years across these sectors. Um, you know, given John's background in consumer retail, I'll let him you know, expand further on that topic. Uh, but certainly what I can add is it's the case within both our existing consumer portfolio as well as the new opportunities that we see um, that the most successful companies have really been the ones that have found a way to optimize their Amazon strategy you know, without sacrificing pricing and margins uh, in order to generate higher volumes. You know, obviously, we've seen that that comes with the benefit of being able to maintain your brand strength um, as well as keeping your brick and mortar guys happy, right? Because shoppers are now seeing the same price on and offline. Uh, in terms of other sectors, uh, particularly what we call business services, we've definitely seen some nice outsized growth for those companies that uh, are really benefiting from the rise in commercial real estate, uh, even within niche categories. So, for instance, you know the rise of new build family entertainment centers in the U.S. and globally, that's been a huge support and help to our bowling products business, Brunswick. Um, and then, you know, within manufacturing, I'd say uh, that the companies that are really generating the most interest and success to your to your question um, are really those that are truly diversified in terms of their customer and markets um, with no real concentrations across some some difficult areas, oil, auto um, areas that are particularly subject to more aggressive swings in a in a you know, difficult economy. All right. Good insight. John, uh, kick this one to you. Perhaps you could highlight some uh, some trends around changing consumer behavior and how that's affecting the retail industry. Yeah, so David was touching on Amazon, and I think that's been critical in, in shaping consumer behavior. And, um, you know, if you look at online growth in totality, it's it's been phenomenal over the last decade. Um, but if you if you take that apart and take Amazon out of it, it, it's a different story. I think Amazon is a is a huge factor in driving e-commerce and online growth. And so a big change we've seen is five years ago, call it, to, to use a, a round number, people were trying to stay away from Amazon as much as they could. When I say people, I mean businesses, not consumers. So if you if you when we worked with direct-to-consumer businesses selling products, whether it was marketplace or consumer product companies, there was a specific strategy around trying to differentiate and stay off of Amazon with fear that Amazon would take over their business. Today, it's different. Today, the strategy has shifted towards how do you coexist with Amazon, whether that means entirely selling through Amazon Wayfair or the like, um, or having a strategy that's something like 50-50. We, we advised a business last year where the sales you know, were roughly half and half through marketplaces and through their own website. Um, and that's become a critical piece of direct-to-consumer businesses today. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, let's jump into the the next topic. And the, the next few uh, questions will uh, refer to, to data and stats from BDO's annual private equity perspective survey. Um, certainly a mouthful. So in, in, in future questions, I will just refer to the survey, but remember that it's the annual PE perspective survey. Um, so... I guess the first the, the first data uh, and, and stat is um, 
according to the findings from this year's survey, 89% of PE fund managers expect a prolonged downturn sometime in the next two years. Uh, I guess, David, do you think the PE industry is, is starting to take steps to prepare for a market correction in the next uh, couple months or couple years? What are you thinking? Yeah, I think of them being fair, we're probably certainly within that 89% of funds that you know have a real concern about the economy over the next few years, just given how hot it's been. Um, you know, but at the same time, I think that even during these last few years, really positive times, uh, we've tried to stay disciplined about our, our new investments. Uh, you know, the reality is is that we've lost out on a lot of opportunities that I know we would have loved to invest in and add to the portfolio. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we simply didn't believe in a lot of cases that the multiples being applied to these companies uh, was appropriate for the longer term. Um, so to answer your question, I guess, yes, perhaps we're even more cautious now um, than we have been. Uh, but I think most funds that are going to be successful over the longer term have done their best really for a while now to identify and avoid the natural exposures that are out there. Things like customer and supplier concentrations and market volatility, um, all of which obviously um, can have a punitive effect in a tough economy. Sure, sure. Well, John, maybe we'll talk about uh, competition. Uh, certainly, as we know, uh, competition is fierce for, for new deals in, in the middle market. Uh, 83% of uh, BDO survey respondents said most of the competition for middle market deals over the next year or so will come from PE firms, followed by just 11% who said strategics. Um, so while strategic buyers continue to bid up prices, uh, I think it's pretty clear that middle market PE peers are multiplying. And at the same time, we're starting to see some bulge bracket PE firms moving downward. So uh, again, John, throwing this one to you, is, is any of this data surprising? No, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think when we are strategizing at the outset of process, you know, we always love to find the, the best strategic buyer at the beginning, right? We say to our clients, you know, here, here are the guys who it would just make a ton of sense for them to, to fold you into their business. And here's, here's why, you know, here's the synergy analysis showing why they can pay more. Now that said, we also typically preface it with, if you were to give me the field of sponsors versus strategics, we're going to take the field. The, not only are we seeing more dry powder and more funds competing in the spaces that we're in, but the, but these guys are like David are, you know, proficient in executing upon these transactions. So not only do you have, you know, a much broader and wider universe that is growing, you also have deal teams that can get these things done quickly and efficiently. And so we end up with clients who say, you know, okay, not only are there less guys who are going to make sense here, but I want this thing done quickly. And so, you know, you end up in a ton of situations that completely substantiate this data. Good stuff. Makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, we'd, uh, at this point, uh, we, we'd like to take a quick coffee break with BDO's Russell Clarkson and Sean Buckley in the Southwest region. Sean is a partner in the Transaction Advisory Services practice, and Russell is a managing partner in the Technology and Business Transformation Services practice. Let's hear their insights. This is Sean Buckley, a partner in the Transaction Advisory Services Group at BDO in Dallas. And this is Russell Clarkson. I'm a managing director in the Management and Technology Advisory Services Group, also in Dallas. We're here today to talk uh, about some trends that were noted in BDO's 10th Annual Private Equity Perspective Survey. Um, you know, a couple of things, uh, Russell, that came up. Uh, one is visualization 
you know, private equity firms are pushing their port codes into digitalization, trying to gain some efficiencies, improve their return on equity or a return on investment. Uh, you know, some of this, you know, is kind of a sector by sector thing. Healthcare, as we know, uh, was mandated uh, several years ago by the federal government to, uh, you know, to, to get into digitalization, uh, electronic health records, that sort of thing. You know, this is kind of your area. What are you seeing in, in digitalization out there? I think that's a great question. I think it came out of the survey. PE firms are really looking at the digital potential of their investments. And one of the things that caught me is they're less concerned about the current level of digital maturity and more so are they are the companies that they're looking at, do they have potential? Is there something they can do? And healthcare is a great area. Had a chance to work with a PE firm that uh, was able to acquire a uh, firm that basically focused on analytics to improve claims processing and flow through. So if you're a doctor, claims are your cash flow. And if your claims are getting rejected, having to be resubmitted, or sometimes falling out altogether, that's a big impact. So this firm had actually built a, a good model, and they didn't have the investment they needed to be able to expand beyond just a, a local market. So partnering with the PE firm or the investment from the PE firm allowed them to really be able to expand their scope. But it was a great example of being able to leverage that. Um, and take their analytics and be able to really expand both geographically and into new areas. Additionally, even firms like in the financial services market, uh, there was a private equity firm that created a platform solution around mortgage brokerage, helping mortgage brokers more successfully identify high-quality candidates, and once those candidates are identified, moving them through the process quickly to be able to get the close rate up and be able to generate more more business than they were able to previously. So it was really more than just the analytics. It was also just helping the whole customer experience get better. And I think that's what's important. So when you think about digitization, uh, private equity firms, as they look into their new transaction, need to think about as they're doing their due diligence, you know, how does IT factor into that? Um, is the current firm digitally focused? Does that potential? You need to look at automation as more than just cost takeout. Are there ways to remove friction from the customer experience to make it easier to do business with, with your firms, to be able to allow customers to have a better experience, make them come back, buy more, expand, et cetera. And you never can lose sight of the fact that many of these portcos sit on huge quantities of data. And you need the best PE firms, I think, are asking, how can we unlock and monetize that, unlock and monetize that data? It's not what can we do with the data, it's how can we use the data? And I think you'll see in the future going forward, healthcare, financial services, and any of the e-commerce firms generate huge quantities of data that offer new revenues. Russell, taking off on that, you know, one of the other areas addressed in the survey was, you know, what's the industry outlook for Southwest region in 2019? You know, we continue uh, as an M&A world to see a lot, a uh, very high level of M&A activity in healthcare and technology, talking about digitalization. You know, so there's certain subsectors like in healthcare, such as dental, dermatology, driving a lot of uh, M&A activity. Uh, technology deals have been driven, you know, basically by the SaaS software as a service. Now they like those subsectors because there's steady cash flows. Um, you know, on the other hand, there's certain uh, sectors such as retail and real estate, um, especially retail. You know, with uh, bricks and mortars out, right? Everything is online. You know, what are you seeing in terms of online uh, projects and, and digitalization? How, how is that happening? What are you seeing in those sectors? Well, I think what's happening is, you know, a lot of the smaller firms 
get to a point where they, they become cash constrained. So a lot of their experience, customer experience, is still very traditional shopping cart, shopping cart oriented, where you log in, you do something, and you leave. And what you're finding a lot of the, the more advanced firms are doing, they're beginning to create an online experience that engages a customer to bring them back for more than just shopping, but for information, for um, consultative services, for other areas that be able to get that are able to get them moving into new market and revenue streams through the online presence. If you think of it, you know, 20, 30 years ago, everything started with a salesperson. Today, by the time you touch a salesperson, you might be already halfway through the transaction cycle. You know, one, uh, particularly one uh, area, one uh, sector in the Southwest is uh, oil and gas. And oil and gas was depressed for several years because the price was, the commodity pricing uh, uh, was so low. There was actually an increase in that uh, activity in oil and gas in 18 until Q4. And, and, and uh, in Q4 of 18, you know, the commodity price of oil fell dramatically. So people are on the sidelines again, really looking at that. And of course, that's an area where private equity firms kind of shy away from those cyclical industries that are dependent on a commodity commodity pricing because that can be affected by a number of different variables. You know, one other one other uh, I think important uh, uh, area that came out of that survey was. You know, there's a high level of uh, 89% of uh, private equity um, fund managers expect a prolonged downturn within the next two years. You know, with that said, we currently don't see much tail off at all in the M&A world. Um, you know, the, the Tax Reform Act last year from 17, there's left emphasis by the federal government regulations and relatively inexpensive financing have contributed to a, a solid M&A market. So, even though there's certain headwinds out there, um, like you know tariffs, Federal Reserve interest rates, Brexit, government shutdown, China slowdown, you know in the next six to 12 months, I don't see much uh, much tailing off. You know, again, uh, based on your experience, Russell, what are you seeing out there? Is there any type of slowdown in projects? I don't think so. I mean, as long as we see the continued change in technology, you're going to see firms looking for new ways to leverage that. I mean, every year we're seeing new ways to deploy technology faster at a lower cost point and with a higher stickiness within the organization to be able to get the change that they want. Well, with that said, I think we've discussed a few really important areas that came out in the survey, uh, the BDO um, 10th Annual Private Equity Perspective Survey. And uh, I think, uh, again, in the short term, um, the money market still looks uh, good. And you know, those private equity firms, I think, are truly trying to reap the benefits of digitalization in their uh, particular uh, particular investments. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Sean. It's good to be here today. You as well, Russell. Special thanks to Russell and Sean. And now back to our conversation with John and David. Uh, maybe we'll let, let's let's tackle uh, kind of drivers of uh, of deal flow, and uh, I guess we'll go to John on this one. Uh, in a, in a highly competitive uh, environment, dependable sources of deal flow and are, are really more vital than ever. Uh, private company sales and capital raises are the most cited drivers of deal flow in the next 12 months, noted by close to two-thirds of BDO survey respondents. I think PE exits are were, were the second most cited at about 21%. Uh, certainly, this finding seems to indicate a trend that PE firms are sourcing most of their deals from founder owners uh, not not other PE firms or, frankly, corporate divestitures. So, so John, I'd like to get your thoughts. 
Do you expect that founder owner buyouts are likely uh, to become more active uh, in the coming years, really, as baby boomers continue to retire? Yeah, I think that last piece there is critical. You know, the the baby boomer um, retirement age is is coming up here, and, and so we just we're, we're seeing more and more folks, entrepreneurs and founders, um, you know, looking for exits and capital events. Um, and so I think that's probably what's driving a lot of this. Um, and and frankly, I think that the, you know, that that's not that's welcome news to to folks like David on the other side of the table. I think, you know, you can speak to it. I'm sure, but. Uh, you know, when we talk to folks uh, in the sponsor world, they're usually more than happy to not uh, to buy direct from a founder and an entrepreneur um, as opposed to from another sponsor. Not to say we don't see plenty of that. We do. Um, but but, you know, the, the the underlying trends add up um, and it you know, and it's and it works for the market. Yeah. So, David, uh, let's say with the with the coffers overflowing uh, private equities hunt. Uh, largely remains on new deals, really, versus add-ons or deleveraging or or working capital needs with the the portfolio companies. Um, a, again, back to the the survey over the next twelve months, the overwhelming majority uh, it was about eighty nine percent of the firm surveyed will direct most of the capital, most of their capital, uh, towards new deals, putting on the back burner the add-ons and deleveraging portfolio company uh, balance sheets. Um, I guess the real question is this, is this finding in line with your expectations, what you guys are seeing? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, I'd say on this topic, I'm actually pretty surprised to see that result. I mean, I can obviously only speak for Gladstone Investment, but, you know, we completed four add-on acquisitions last year across the portfolio. Um, and we really, some really good stuff, and we view them as a favorable way to achieve growth. Uh, I'd say it's pretty rare that we'll ever come into a new investment and you know have the mindset that we have to make add-ons in order to make the investment work. Uh, but we also view them as really nice potential upside as well uh, if the right target is out there. Uh, you know, frankly, in today's difficult multiple environment, uh, add-ons are a really nice way to dollar average down uh, in order to enhance growth and your returns. Um, you know, just to be fair, I'd say. Uh, one of the difficult aspects with add-ons is obviously the integration piece, but at the end of the day, that really comes down to your management team. And if you've got the right management team to execute on it, uh, which we have seen, um, then it can be hugely beneficial for you. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I, guys, I got to tell you, there's a, a lot of informative uh, feedback uh, from both of you. Always good to get the perspectives of, of an IB and a, and a PE. Uh, your firms are, are very good friends of BDO. We value the relationship. And I want to uh, thank you both for uh, for coming today. I know our listeners are going to appreciate your uh, your feedback and your, your insight. Uh, to our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of the show on iTunes. Until next time. Thank you. The views presented by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of their respective firms. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Perspectives podcast. For more information on how BDO supports private equity sponsors, funds, and their portfolio companies with a full spectrum of accounting, tax, and advisory services, please visit us at BDO.com. If you enjoyed the show, we hope you visit iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of Private Equity Perspectives. Perspectives.